Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Tonight we're in Kings, 1 Kings 1. Let's pray first, and then uh, um, we'll get into the message. So, Father, we again just come before you, Lord, and, uh, and we know, Lord, that you're already here and you're already moving in our midst, and we count on it and need it more than ever, Lord. So we just pray that you would breathe upon the scripture tonight and that you would help us, Lord, to uh, look through the lens of this passage and see our place in the present world. So we ask you, Lord, that you would anoint our ears, our hearts, and most importantly, our, our minds and our feet, that we might uh, respond rightly to what you speak to us tonight personally. So we lift ourselves in this time before you, and it's in Jesus' name that we ask, amen. Does anyone else in here have that room in your house? You know that room that I'm talking about. It's the one that you let go way too long without decluttering and cleaning. And uh, you watch over time as every surface becomes cluttered and then piled with things. Every drawer is overflowing to the point where you can't close it. Every closet the door can no longer be shut because the things are so disorganized. And little by little, even the passageways become narrower and narrower to the point where you can't walk in it. And you come to the point where you look at that room and you say, something has got to be done with this. And how did this happen? You know, I can't be the only one that has that room in your house. But you make the date, you make the time, and you say, this is it. And you look at it, and as your eyes go from surface to corner to drawer to closet, you don't know where to start. And so you just kind of say, you know what? I've got more time next Saturday, so I'll just put this off until then, and I'll block out a little bit extra time because I'm going to need it. I know what that's like. You look at it and you don't know what to do with it because it's so messed up, okay? So you end up doing nothing. Now, I look at the world that we're living in today and I have that same sinking feeling inside wherein I look no matter where at what's going on in the world around us today and I feel that same thing where everywhere I look, in every sector, in every subject, and in everything, I, I find myself saying, this is a mess, and I don't know what to do with it, and, and this is driving me crazy. Now, without being over-exhaustive in it or fostering too much despair, when I look at politics, economics, education, the dispersal of information, relationships, morality, the family, the collective IQ of humanity, even within the church, there's nowhere right now that I can look around in society and say, well, at least that surface, at least that place is in good shape. <laughs> no, there's none. I just want to put up a curtain around all of it, get into the fetal position and go to sleep because I don't know what to do with it. And I think that feeling is probably somewhat universal, where no matter where we look, we see a mess, and we just don't know what to do with it. 
And just like the room in our house, we look around the world that we're living in today and we ask the question, how did this happen? How did we get here and where do we go from here? Okay, well, the answer to the question of how did this happen is actually given to us in the first chapter of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 28, it was the very first instruction that God gave to man after creating him and placing him there in the Garden of Eden. He said to Adam, to the man and his wife, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he said, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And then he goes on from there. His instructive word, the first words of God were threefold. Number one is be fruitful and multiply. Don't stay small and keep it insulated, spread out and expand. Then second of all, he said, replenish the earth. So the word replenish is actually to fill it or satisfy it. Meaning make sure that you have enough kids and enough offspring and descendants that you fill the earth completely, use it, spread out, multiply in the earth, replenish it. And then the third thing is he said, subdue it. The word subdue literally means to control it and to keep under it. So get control of the world that you live in and then stay on it. Clean the room, then keep the room clean. Com control it, subdue it, and then stay on top of it. And God's word to man was, this is on you. You do it, you subdue it, you control it. Now you say, for what? Control it to what end? And so for God, that would be that you're to control the world for his purposes, for righteousness, and for the cause of life, so that you can be fruitful and multiply, so that you can spread out and fill the earth, and you can live the way that God intended unto the purpose that God intended. That is the control that you're supposed to have. Now, why did God tell Adam that? Why did God have to tell Adam that? And the answer is this, because God knew that there is a force that is less powerful than man, but more cunning than man that would try to do the opposite, that it would try to take control from the man that would try to dominate the world instead of him to diminish God's cause and call and purpose for humanity and ultimately to destroy it. And God knew that was there when he separated the light from the darkness and he called, called Adam, created him in the light and said, multiply, satisfy and control, subdue the earth. God knew that there was a force that wanted to take control in his place. Well, when we look around the world that we're living in today, I ask you the question, who's winning? <laughs> who's dominating? Who's in control? Who's subduing the world right now? Well, in the text that we have before us tonight, in 1 Kings chapter 1, we have an amazing picture of how it happens. And that's really the question we, we ask. We look around the world, we say, how did this happen? How did we get here? What's going on? Well, in the text, we have the answer to that question. How does it happen? But more importantly, the question is answered of how do we turn it around? 
I always tell my kids and, and the people that I, I work with, I say, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions, <laughs> right? So I don't, I don't come here tonight to just point out the problem that we all know and live in every day. I want to give you the solution, and God does right here in the, in the script. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 1. I'm going to read through the chapter with just limited commentary, and then I'm going to explain what's in it and apply it uh, to us. So let's read it. Chapter 1. Verse one, it says this, it says, now King David was old and stricken in years and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. Wherefore his servants said unto him, let there be sought for my Lord, the King, a young virgin and let her stand before the King and let her cherish him and let her lie in your bosom that my Lord, the King may get heat. I don't know why they didn't just try cayenne pepper first, but they figured that uh, knowing David, that this would be his preferred uh, method, a, a living hot water bag. And so they sought for a fair damsel throughout all the coasts of Israel and found Abishag, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the damsel was very fair, very beautiful, and cherished the king and ministered to him, but the king knew her not. The relationship was by no means physical or sexual beyond uh, medical. So Adonijah, verse 5, one of the key players in this whole script, the son of Haggith, one of David's wives, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father, David, had not displeased him at any time in saying, why have you done this? And he was also a very goodly man, attractive, uh, competent. And his mother bare him after Absalom. So he did not share the same mother as Absalom, but he was second born after Absalom. And he conferred, Adonijah did, with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, that was David's chief general throughout the entirety of his reign, and with uh, Abiathar, the priest. He was the main priest or representative of God during the reign of David. And they, following Adonijah, helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, who was David's kind of chief of staff. He was the equivalent of the speaker of the house, if you would, the, the, the third probably most powerful man in David's kingdom, Benaniah, and Shimei and Rei, and the mighty men which belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah slew sheep and oxen and fat cattle by the stone of Zeholeth, which is by Enrogel, and he called his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. So all of David's other sons, all the other princes go with Adonijah now, as well as the men of Judah, David's tribe. But Nathan, the prophet and Benaiah and the mighty men and Solomon, his brother, he called not. So he kind of knows that he's up to no good, and he strategically leaves a few people out that he knows probably won't go along with what he's trying to do. Wherefore, Nathan spoke unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Nathan's the prophet, David's uh, chief counselor concerning the things of God, saying, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, does reign, and David, our Lord, knows it not? 
Now, therefore, come, let me, I pray thee, give you counsel that you may save your own life and the life of your son, Solomon. Hey, he didn't ask you to follow. He didn't ask Solomon. What do you think is going to happen once he becomes powerful? Go and get into King David and say unto him. So Nathan tells Bathsheba what to say to David. Did not thou, my Lord, O king, swear unto your handmaid, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. Why then does Adonijah reign? Behold, while you yet talked there with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your words. And Bathsheba went in unto the king into the chamber, the room, and the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite ministered unto him. My imagination just runs wild with how awkward that must have been at that moment. Uh, there, but you can imagine your own thing. And Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance to the king. And the king said, what wouldest thou? Or what do you want? What is it? And she said unto him, my Lord, you swear by the Lord, your God unto your handmaid saying, assuredly Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit upon my throne. And now behold, Adonijah reigns. And now my Lord, the king, you know it not. And he has slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance and has called all the sons of the king and Abiathar the priest and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon, your servant, has he not called? He has made a move, a power play. He's seeking to establish himself and be known and secure and solidify his place, his position. And you, verse 20, my Lord, O king, the eyes, here's our verse, listen to it. The eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the king after him. Otherwise, if you don't, if you don't do something, if you don't respond to what's going on right now, if you just let things play out as they're playing out and you don't interject and intervene and do something with your authority, it will come to pass when my Lord, the King shall sleep with his fathers one generation later that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders will be killed. And lo, while she yet talked with the King, Nathan, the prophet also came in and they told the King saying, behold, Nathan, the prophet. And when he was come in before the king, he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my Lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day and has slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance and has called all the king's sons and the captains of the host and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him and say, God save King Adonijah. But me, even me, thy servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and thy servant Solomon, has he not called? Is this thing done by my Lord, the king, and you have not showed it unto your servant? Who would sit on the throne of my Lord, the king after him? Then King David answered and said, call me Bathsheba. And she came in the presence, in the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore and said, as the Lord lives, that has redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Even so will I certainly do this day. 
Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence to the king and said, let my Lord King David live forever. And King David said, call me Zadok, the priest and Nathan, the prophet and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. And the king also said unto them, take with you the servants of your Lord and cause Solomon, my son, to ride upon my own mule and bring him down to Gihon, which was situated right next to Enrogel, where Adonijah was. And let Zadok, the priest and Nathan, the prophet anoint him there king over Israel and blow ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him that he may come and sit upon my throne for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, amen. The Lord God of my Lord, the king say so too. I amen this. I agree. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king. Even so be he with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Zadok, the priest and Nathan, the prophet and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok, the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon and they blew the trumpet and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent, the earth lent its strength to this proclamation with the sound of them. And Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they had made an end of eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, wherefore is this noise of the city being in an uproar? And while he yet spake, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest came in and Adonijah said unto him, come in for you're a valiant man and bring good news. Don't you fake news? Any news? Can you say something good? And Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, verily, our Lord, King David has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, and they have caused him to ride upon the king's mule. And Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, have anointed him king in Gihon, and they are come up from thence rejoicing, so that the city rang again. This is the noise that you have heard. And also Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, on top of this, the king's servants came to bless our Lord King David saying, God, make the name of Solomon better than your name and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king himself bowed himself upon the bed. And also thus said the king, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which has given one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes, even seeing it. And all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. I, w I wish I could have seen it. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. It was like when you were kids and you played tag and there was a safe. It was like, no, I'm in the altar. You can't, you can't hurt me. 
And it was told Solomon saying, behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon for lo, he has caught hold on the horns of the altar saying, let King Solomon swear unto me this day that he will not slay his servant with the sword. And Solomon said, if he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent and they brought him down from the altar and he came and he bowed himself to King Solomon and Solomon said unto him, go home (laughs) or go into your house. What an amazing saga that plays out at the end of David's life as another power play is made for the throne. And as we look at the chapter, we see a couple of things that I just want to point out to you that you notice. First of all, there is a declining king. We're told in the opening verses that David was old and well-stricken in years. Now, according to biblical standards, he actually wasn't that old. He was only about 70 years old at this time, which is kind of young when you read about the ages of people in the Bible and how long that they live. But it says that he was well-stricken. And the idea is that he, he was young in years, but he had a lot of miles on him. And he absolutely did. David was the kind of guy that lived like four lifetimes within the 70 year lifespan that he had. And we know this about David. We know that he went an incredible distance from where he started to where he ended up. He did have a lot of miles on him. We also know of David that he was extremely decorated, that his list of accomplishments and the things on his resume, both practically and spiritually were long. He was very accomplished. And we also know that he had a good destination, that he made it from where he began to where he was set to end up, that he had kind of finished his course, if you would. And so this is the end of the road for King David, as we're told there in those opening verses. We're also told in this chapter that there was an ambitious and cunning force that was waiting in the shadows to make a move in the declining years of King David. Adonijah, the second born, takes a play from Absalom's playbook and he moves in and tries to grab key people with a big budget and give the appearance of credibility and seem harmless. But underneath it all, There was an insipid evil inside of him trying to take control of something that wasn't his and drive it in a direction that God didn't want it to go. We also know from the chapter that David knows about it, but he doesn't do anything about it. It tells us in verse six that David knew what Adonijah was up to, but he at no time ever interjected and said anything before he was provoked to do it. And he doesn't stop Adonijah from what Adonijah was about to do. And you pause and you ask the question and you say, well, why? Why didn't David interject his will and stop Adonijah from doing what he was doing? I mean, the answer is kind of practical if you just put yourself in David's shoes. First of all, he was old, he was tired, and he was retired. He was done in his mind with being king. He didn't want to make decisions anymore. He couldn't even get warm anymore by himself. And he thought, well, I just don't want to deal with this. The second reason David did nothing is because David was already very well accomplished. He doesn't really need to do anymore. I mean, you look at everything that David did in his life 
And everybody was already looking at David as a model and an example. And he was tired and really didn't need to do anymore. He was already in the hall of fame, as it were. We also know of David that he was saved. He knew where he was going. He was going from a place of decline and discomfort to a place of renewal and eternity and glory. And that pretty soon he would just be checking out and it would no longer be his problem what happened. And he knew that God was in control. And so he didn't make it a priority to do anything about it. And the king, David, already said earlier on what he wanted. He had already declared earlier, as we read in the chapter, he said, Solomon is the one that's going to reign after me. So David had already made it known what he wanted. And in his mind, he was just thinking, well, they'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, this is God's choice. And so Adonijah is doing what Adonijah is doing, but they'll figure it out after I'm gone. And David didn't want to deal with this. But here's the fact of the matter is that it's not true that David is done yet. Because there's one more thing that David needs to do on top of everything that he's already done. He's got one more thing. And if he doesn't do the last thing, then he'll lose everything. Because if the kingdom goes to Adonijah, it won't be very long before the kingdom that David established is not the kingdom that David established. So David knows about it, but David doesn't do anything about it. And so Nathan comes to Bathsheba and they come together with this plot and Bathsheba comes in first and she tells the king what's going on and she tells the king and it's the message that he needed to hear and it's the message that you and I need to hear. It's what she said to him again in verses 20 and 21. She said, you, my Lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you that you should tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the king. Otherwise it will come to pass when my Lord, the king shall sleep with his fathers that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. Bathsheba looks at David and she says, listen, king, this is on you. You're not finished yet. You might think you're done, but you're not done. And David in this time in his life is about to make the biggest mistake he could make if he passes off the scene without doing this last thing. This is probably the most repeated mistake that David almost makes in the history of humanity. Because for David, everything in his own life is right. He's a model of success. He's a model of accomplishment. He's given an example of what life should look like that's following God. But what David is failing to do is that he's failing to set up the next generation after him, to prepare the generation that will follow in his footsteps to continue the legacy of what he's began. And if it fails after he dies, then all that means is that David lived a good life but he didn't build good. He harvested from the tree of life, but he failed to preserve it and to protect it. And so David hears Bathsheba and then he hears Nathan who follows in after Bathsheba and David makes a decision. He says, I've got to make this right. I've got to finish the work that was given me to do. So he calls Zadok the priest he calls Nathan the prophet. The priest represents the connection between God and man. 
The prophet represents the counsel of God to man. He calls in Benaiah, who represents the speaker of David's house, the, the one who is over all of the administration. And he tells them these words. He says, listen, guys, I want you to call a meeting of all of Congress. And I want you to put Solomon on Air Force One. And I want you to fly him into Gihon, which means the well or the spring, which is just across the way from where Adonijah is celebrating and sacrificing. And I want you to anoint Solomon king in my place there in Gihon. That's what you're to do, says the king. And so these men gather the leaders of Israel and they do what Solomon says. They gather them together. They accompany Solomon to the place. They anoint him with oil. They blow the trumpet. They shout with joy and with music. And it says that even the earth was rent or torn and moved. In other words, the earth itself yielded its strength to what they were doing because what they were doing was according to the will of God. The power of God moved the creation of God to get behind the will of God. Amazing. Now, what David does here for Solomon, as recorded in 1 Kings chapter 1, is actually only an abbreviated version of the account of David's succession plan. It's given to us in very, very abbreviated terms. But there was more that David did to prepare succession, to prepare the next generation, to get Solomon ready and, and ascended into that place. And I want to share with you what David did because you and I are in danger of making the same mistake that, that David almost make if we simply live our lives and, and we enjoy the tree of life and what's been handed to us. But if we don't prepare succession and preserve the values and what God has laid before us and pass it on to the next generation, then we've failed miserably because we have partaken, but we have not preserved. We've not protected. We've not handed down. So what did David do for Solomon that we are called to do, that we must do if we're going to see things made right in the world that we're in? Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. It's just after Kings comes Chronicles, but Chronicles just gives more details about the things that were going on in the lives of the kings. And this segment kind of gives us the, the more, um, in, uh, what's the word? Con not concise, the opposite of concise. <laughs> the fuller version of what David did for Solomon. And I want you to see it because it is so very important for you and I to understand what David had to do in order to preserve his legacy and the, the kingdom that God had given to him. Notice in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 1, what actually happened when David did this. It says that David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons with the officers and with the mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. So here's what David does. He gathers everyone within his sphere of influence. Because he was the king, that sphere was very large. And it included a lot of people. And he didn't leave any of them out. Everyone who would listen 
that was within his realm of control, he called them into his audience and into his hearing so that he could declare unto them what must happen. And then in verse two, it says that David, the king stood up upon his feet and he said, hear me, my brethren and my people, as for me, I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the foot for the footstool of our God and he, er, and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and has shed blood. Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler and of the house of Judah, the house of my father. And among the sons of my father, he liked me to, to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon, thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever. If he be constant to do my commandments and my judgments as at this day. Now, therefore, David says, in light of what God has declared is to be what happens after I go. In the sight of all Israel, the congregation of the Lord, and in the audience of our God, God is here listening in. Keep and seek for all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. David says, listen, guys, this is what has to happen. God has said that I'm to be king. And God has said that Solomon, my son, is to be king after me. And it is for him to build the temple that is to be his footstool and his place of representation within the world. And this is the will of God. And it's on you, congregation, to maintain his will and his light and his plan in the world. And then David does this. Listen, this is so important. It's in verse eight. He tells them why. This is why this is so critical. He says that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. In other words, you are all beneficiaries of what God has done in your midst. You are all in the security and the freedom and the peace and the prosperity of this kingdom. And you're enjoying it already. You're possessing the land. But if you don't preserve it, then it's not going to be successive. It will not be enjoyed by your children and their children forever. And that is the will of God. That's what's at stake here is that if you don't subdue it, if you don't get on it, if you don't keep it, then you're going to lose it because there's a force that's less powerful, but more cunning. And it's lurking in the shadows and it's trying to get in. And this is what's at stake. Hold on to it. That was David's number one move is that he spoke to the people within his sphere. And he said, there's more at stake here than you. There's more about your preparation for the end of life than making sure you have enough to make it through retirement. There's more because if you don't do your part to preserve and protect the tree of life that you've enjoyed, 
then it's going to be taken from your children and their grandchildren and they will not have what you enjoyed and your legacy will come to nothing even though you maybe survived in comfort. It's critical, David would say. That was number one. Then number two, David turns his attention from his circle, his sphere of influence, his people, his subjects, his kingdom, and he looks directly at his son. He talks to the one he was handing the baton to. And here's what he says, verse 9, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. He says, and you, my son, Solomon, know thou the God of your father. Number one is have a relationship with God. David looked at his son and he said, it is not enough for you to know about God. It isn't enough for you to claim the name of God and to say that you're a Christian or a believer or an Israelite or from Judah, but you must know him. You must have relationship, intimacy, personally, your own testimony, your own interaction. You have got to find him in the place of relationship. Know God. If you don't know God, you'll know nothing and you'll have nothing. It's primal. It's number one. And I'm sure that David said so much more to him than just simply like, hey, have a relationship. This was ongoing. This was David taking Solomon through the scriptures, showing him God, testifying of what God had done in his life and how God had brought him through the things that he had gone through and communicating the relationship, the prayer and the answer, the leading and the following, the battle and the victory, communicating it to Solomon, explaining the relationship aspect, making it clear to him that, listen, you can't relate to God through me. You've got to relate to God through you. Know the God of your father. And then number two, and serve him. Give him your strength, all of your strength. And he tells him how. He says, with a perfect heart and a willing mind. A perfect heart just means sincere. It means there's no pretense. That there's no motive behind it. That it isn't an appearance of serving. And that it isn't a a service that has a motive attached to it. Well, I'll serve him because he's going to do this for me. He says, no, no, no. Serve God because he's God. And do it with sincerity. And he says, and do it with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. And he says, if you, and this is number three, seek him. So know him, serve him. And number three, seek him. Seek him, it means to spend time talking to him, spend time looking for him, spend time pouring over the scriptures and pulling them apart and dividing it out and figuring out who he is and what his name means and what his will is and what his ways are and why he does what he does and the things that he's revealed. Seek him, look for him, not just in the word, but look for him in your life. Look at and pay attention to the things that are going on to you, around you, in you, and for you. Pay attention and seek God in it and say, God, where are you in the conversation that I had today? God, where are you in the setback that I just experienced that I, that I think might destroy me? But God, you say you're in all things. Where are you in it? Seek him. Look for him in it. Seek him. Because if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Then he says, number four, not just know him, not just serve him, not just seek him. But verse 10, he says, take heed now. 
understand that there are forces and things that are going to try to disrupt, distract, pull you down and destroy you. And if you are not aware that you are in a war, if you're not aware of what's at stake, then you'll lose before you even know what the rules of the game are. You've got to be aware. You've got to understand what's going on in this world. Take heed now for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and watch this and do it because that room gets messy very quickly. And if you don't stay on what God has given you to do, then you're going to watch it fade off into the margins and eventually right off the page. And then finally, verse 11, number five. Then David, and this is probably the most important thing that David did, and I want you to read between the lines. It says that David gave to Solomon, his son, the pattern. David gave to Solomon, his son, the pattern. Listen to me. Now, let me read the rest of the verse so you don't think I'm just taking everything out of context. The pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof, and of the treasuries thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof, and the inner parlors thereof, and of the place of the mercy seat. And then he goes on to discuss the patterns, all of the plans for the tabernacle. But listen to what he says. He gave his son the pattern for how a relationship with God is to happen. That's what the tabernacle, the tent was all about. It was all about relating to God. That's why Jesus would say, Paul would say that you are the temple of the living God. You are the place where God exists. And David gave to Solomon the pattern for relationship. Listen, parents, the most important thing you can do in the context of legacy, preserving and handing down what's been handed to you and what you've been given and enjoy is to give your kids a pattern it's an example. It's a model that you live it in such a way that even if you don't say it every day, they see it every day. And what you are is what they'll become. And the greatest mark of David's legacy is that he gave his son a pattern that he could see. This is how it works. This is how faith works. This is how you win. This is how you advance. This is how you know. This is how you grow. This is how you fight. This is how you climb. This is how you walk. This is how you serve God. He gave him a pattern. So David prepared Solomon. It was more than just David going, he says, I'm going to die tomorrow and I better think about what I'm going to do. No, no. It was successive along the way. He was preparing Solomon, his son, day by day as he grew up. He watched David, who was the king, and yet he was a servant to God. The man that had authority, his weakness was on display, and Solomon could see that without God, he can't. And every day the pattern was being laid so that when David at the end of his life could say, no, God, Solomon could say like, yeah, you did that. And serve God, yeah, you did that. And seek God. Yeah, you did that. I know what that means. I know what that looks like. And take heed. Yeah, I've watched that too. You have had some fights. You've had to go through some things. For I've given you a pattern. And Solomon would say, yeah, you did. You did. You gave me a pattern. I know what it means. I know what everything you're saying means right now. Because I watched it lived out in my sight every single day. In your failures and in your victories. And I'll do it. 
I'm going to take the baton and I'm going to go. Well, back now in Kings, David anoints Solomon, the trumpet blows, the earth shakes, and Joab and Abiathar kind of scratch their heads and say, what's that noise? What is it that's going on outside? And all of a sudden, Jonathan comes in, the son of Abiathar, and he, and he, says, he says, hey, I've got some news, guys. And they're like, yeah, you got good news. We're not going to get any mean tweets from you. Tell us, what is, what is it that you want to say, Jonathan? And he says, hey, listen, uh, here's the deal. Solomon was on David's mule with David's men and David's servants and David's Congress, and they brought him to Gihon, and they anointed him. They put a crown on his head. They let him up. He's sitting on David's throne right now. And David himself hunched over in the bed and said, God save King Solomon. And, uh, and, and this might not be good what you guys are doing right here because everybody knows that you're here right now. And all of a sudden, it was like the parents came home early and the party abruptly stops. And it says that all of the guests feared they immediately turned off location services on their phone and deleted all the posts of selfies that they had put up there, you know, of them at, at hey, hashtag Adonijah's king, you know. They, they deleted all of those posts and they quietly just depart out the back door and we weren't really here. But most importantly, it tells us in verse 50, it says that Adonijah feared. Listen to that. Adonijah the one who seemed to have all the power, Adonijah, the one who took control of what was not his to control, he feared when what God wanted was put in place and that fear then led him to flee. And in fleeing, he then fell upon the horns of the altar in a plea for mercy and most importantly of all, ultimately, he failed. Adonijah failed in his attempt to try to take control of a kingdom that wasn't his. The momentous force that appeared stronger and kind of was than David, at least at this moment, ultimately failed. He was more cunning, but he was weaker. I ask a question. What would have happened if Adonijah succeeded? What would it have looked like if David didn't heed the advice of Bathsheba or of Nathan and it just kind of happened? If David didn't pass the baton and set up the next generation the right way, right way, what would the kingdom, what would the world have looked like just a generation or two later if David didn't do what he did and Adonijah succeeded in his plan? Do, do you want to know what the world would look like? Turn on the news when you go home tonight. Look around at the youth of our day and the attitude that they have and the confusion in their faces and the lost condition that they're in. Consider what's happened with education in our country. Look at Washington and the world governments. Look at the church. Not every church but most of them look around at what's going on in the world. Do you realize that the education system in the United States of America was founded for the purpose of teaching scripture and grounding people in the word and ways of God? Do you realize that the universities, the places of higher education started as theological seminaries 
The Ivy League schools, that's where they began. When you consider the hospitals in our nation, the great ones, think about their names. Think about the people that founded them and why they did and what for and in whose name they existed for. Think about all of that, where it began. And now think about where it is today. Adonijah got his hands on some things. Somewhere there was a breakdown in succession. Somewhere the purpose changed from what it was initially set up for and it became something that it wasn't. And if you want to know what it would look like if David just passed off the scene in his glory, hey, good retirement, good example. I did pretty good for myself. Everybody's looking at me. But he didn't set right the final thing that needed to be set right. And one or two generations later, it's a completely different world than the one that David created and fostered and built around him. Listen, the world that you and I are living in today is the room in your house that is so cluttered. And what we are living in right now is the very reason that God said to Adam in the beginning, subdue it, control it, hang on to it, fill it up, satisfy it, but then keep it in your hands. It's for righteousness. It's for God. It's for truth. It's for the gospel. It's for redemption. It's for the glory of God. And if you don't get your hands on that and then hold on to that and control that, then you're going to see the force that is less powerful, but more cunning than you come in and take it all from you. And you'll wake up one day and you'll barely be able to walk through the passage that's left to get from your bed to the doorway because of the clutter that has built up around. And you'll look at it all and you'll say, I don't know where to even begin to fix this thing. Can we just burn it down and start over? Lord Jesus, just come. It's a mess. The truth is it's on us. It's our fault. It's Adam's fault. God gave Adam the responsibility. He said, you subdue it. You stay on it. You control it. And just as God said to Adam in the beginning, you subdue it. Listen to what Jesus said to you and I. Lest you say, well, it's God's problem, not our problem. Matthew chapter 28, the very last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. Jesus came to them, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And he spoke to them saying this. He said, all power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I am indeed sovereign over all and can do whatever I want. But verse 19 says, go ye therefore. You go therefore. What's the therefore? It connects what he just said to what he is saying. What did he just say? He just said, I have all authority. I have all authority, so you go. In other words, I am giving you power. I am giving you authority according as it has all been given to me. There is not a more powerful force in heaven or in earth than the authority that I have, and I am now sending you in that power. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them. That's evangelism and the spreading of the gospel. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That is the representation of God in his triune being. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. In other words, you're to disciple the nations. You're to spread the gospel and teach the ways of God. You're to be a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid. A light that is set on a lampstand to give light to all of those that are in the room. And I'm giving you the authority and the command and the ability and the mechanics to do it. And then he says, finally, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, into the end of the world. In other words, the authority and the power and the presence and the peace and the intelligence and the resources and everything that you need to do what you're being called to do has been given to you. What does that mean? It means that you and I are without excuse. And just like Bathsheba came into David in his dying days and said, listen, if you don't do something, then you're not going to see the successive generations last very long because the force that comes in is going to remove every influence that it doesn't like or that stands in its way. And if you don't do something, we don't have much time. So you sit here tonight and you hear this and you look at our world through the lens of all this and consider what's going on. You look around at the mess and you say, well, what do we do? Here's the answer. Do something. (laughs) That's the message title tonight. Do something. You've got to do, you can't stand in the room and look at the mess and say, economics, education's messed up, healthcare's messed up, students, youth are messed up, families are messed up, marriage is messed up, the church is messed up, everything is messed up. Every single surface has something on it piled up. Every single drawer has something in it all the way to to, to the maximum capacity. Every closet is bursting with filth. Everything is a mess. I don't even know what to do. I'm not doing anything. There's nothing to do. I'm just going to throw my hands in the No, no, no. Here's what you do. And you write these things down as we draw to a close. Number one is own it. Own it. Everybody shout it. Own it. Own it. Okay, listen, Jesus said, all authority is given to me, so you go. He said, you go. And Jesus, listen, Jesus, just like David, okay, what did David say to Solomon? David said, listen, Solomon, I wanted to build it, but it wasn't the plan of God. So I prepared for it. I purchased all of the materials. I put up all of my own money. I did it at my expense. But God said to me that you're a man of blood and you can't build the temple. You build it. Here's the resources. And Jesus says the same thing to us. In his dying words, he says, listen, all authority is given to me. I'm not going to build it. He says, I'm a man of blood. I paid for it. I provided the materials. I've given you everything you need. Now you go. You go. It's on you. I've given you a platform, the church. I've given you an example. I've given you the materials. Jesus would say, I've given you a pattern. He's even given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us everything that we need to do something in the world, but we've got to own it and say, it's on me. Number two, what do we do? What do you do when you finally say, okay, I'm going to clean this room? I'll tell you what I do. I stare at it until I see the first step. Right? And you, you guys know what that's like, pickup sticks, right? You're like, oh, I could put that shirt in the, no, there's no room in the hamper. Okay, I could put that, that gum wrapper in the trash can. There's no room in the trash can. Okay, I could take the trash out. And, and you stare at it until you see a first step. 
right? So that's what you do. You own it and say, it's on me to do something. You say, the world's a mess. I'm called to do something. What do I do? You stare at it until you see the first step, what you can do. I'll give you a hint, okay? Because when my kids are in their room and they're standing at it going like, the first, listen, here's the first step. Clean out the junk drawer because you've got to have a space to put some of the things that are on the other surfaces. So first clean the junk drawer, then you'll have room. That's the first step probably for most of us. You know what I'm talking about, right? The junk drawer. You, you got a junk drawer. I'm not talking about your bedroom. I'm talking about your heart. You got a closet. I got a closet. What's it look like? That's a good first step. Because if you're not walking in the light, you can't transmit light. If you're not walking with God, you can't proliferate the things of God. The first step is get clean. You. Clean out the junk drawer. That's number one. Then number three, actually that was number three, clean out the, <laughs> the junk drawer. Number four is put your tools on. Put your tools on. What are your gifts? What is your sphere? What is it that you can do? Because no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. So what's your gift? My gift is that I can teach. My gift is that I can look at the word long enough to see a passage as a lens through which to see the world. And then I can communicate it in such a way that it inspires and teaches and instructs others to understand and see things that are invisible. And, and God's also given me a sphere. I've got some people that I can speak into their lives and, and I can say these things too. You know, I'm friends with people that work in the county, people that are over the county. And, and I can and do say to them, listen, you've got to think about succession because we're one election away from the entire thing that we enjoy here in Dutchess County from falling apart. I just heard word this morning that our conservative sheriff passed away. And all of a sudden you realize, like, wait a minute, this could change things. Yes, it could change things. Things change. And if you and I don't have our tools on and aren't aware of what God has given us to do, then we're not prepared to do it when the time comes that we can. Number five, follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. What's the pattern? Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. When you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus gave this amazing pattern, and he said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And you and I have this amazing power to declare what is supposed to be in prayer. And just like when David anointed Solomon and the earth lent its strength to what David did, so also when we pray according to the will of God, there is an amazing power that sweeps through and does things that we can't understand. But isn't it amazing how little we are apt to pray? How little we do it. And then number six, set up your kids. Teach your kids. Give them a pattern. Talk to them about knowing God. If you don't know God, you better know him. And set up them the way that David set up Solomon. And here's, here's what will happen when you and I begin to just do something is that things will start happening. It'll start. The earth will move. You'll realize that you're stronger than you think you are. And you'll see Adonijah, the one who seems to be so powerful, you'll see him begin to fall, to fear, to flee, 
and ultimately fail because God's power is behind God's will. And when God's people do God's will, God's power is released upon the earth. Listen to what James chapter four, verse seven says. James chapter four, verse seven. It says, submit to God, resist the devil. And what does it say? He will flee. What does that tell you? It tells you that you are more powerful than the devil. He is more cunning than you. And he would like you to think that he is more powerful than you, but he is not because all authority has not been given to him in heaven and on earth, but it has been given to you. And sometimes you've got to resist in order to see evil flee. And if you and I are just in the business of just going along to get along, then ultimately we're going to watch things continue to go the way that they're going. And we're going to see the passageways choked out until we have absolutely nowhere to move at all and nothing we can do. And there comes a point when you have to say, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. We're not going to live that way. And you're not going to tell us that we are. And you know, it's amazing that it says that he will flee from you. It has to happen. My final word to you. I want to read to you the last thing that David said to Solomon, and I want you to hear it as though God is saying it to you. It's in second, I'm sorry, first Chronicles chapter 22, verse 14 through 16. And just listen to this. In fact, just close your eyes. It's going to be on the screen. If you can't listen and you have to see, then keep your eyes open so that you don't miss it. But listen to what God says to you. First Chronicles 22, 14. Now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared. And you may add thereto. Jesus would say, I in my trouble have prepared and provided every resource that you would need. Materially, everything that you would need spiritually, I've given you the pattern, I've done it in abundance, and you can even add to what I have given. Moreover, verse 15, there are workmen with you in abundance. There are other people of willing and ready mind, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. And verse 16, of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number, there's no limit. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with you. Arise, therefore, and be doing. We don't have an excuse. Have you ever, have you ever had someone come by your house when it's in disaster mode, uninvited and unannounced? What do you feel like when they walk in and you're like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't usually look like this. This has just been a really hectic week. You know? <laughs> I have kids. <laughs> Jesus said 2,000 years ago, he said, look, I've set it up for you pretty good. Hang on to it. And he's coming back. He's coming back. Clean up. Clean it up. Listen, we're the church. We're the last hope that the world has. 
We're alive. We're clean it up. Arise. Do it. Stand. <laughs> and be doing. Father, we pray tonight as we consider, as we look, as we think, Lord, we ask that you would wake us up, that you would use, Lord, what we can bring, that you would illuminate our understanding, you'd open up our eyes, you would empower us within our sphere, that you would use us as parents and grandparents, that you would help us to see what's going on in the big picture and in the small, and that you would use us, Lord. We need you in these days. We need your power. And Lord, we're sorry for where we've made it about us, where our life is just about our life. Help us, Lord, to see beyond that the land that we possess might be enjoyed by our children and their children forever, as long until you come. And I pray that you'd give us grace, Lord, that we might make a difference in these days. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.